Welcome to the podcast of Conversations with Friends, heard every week on KAOI Radio in Maui, Hawaii. Good morning. Welcome to Conversations with Friends with Mary Omwake, exploring ways to live our lives more fully in this wonderful world. We welcome your calls and thoughts at 242-7800. Conversations with Friends is brought to you on KAOI by Unity of Maui, where the heart is at home. Now, here's your host, Mary Omwake. Good morning, Maui. It's James Jacobson sitting in for Mary for the next several weeks. Mary is actually traveling. She's on sabbatical, but she will be joining us via telephone from California later in this broadcast. And then she will actually be back on island on September 10th for a very special church service uh, to, to kick off our season for forgiveness and uh, with a beautiful tie-in with, of course, September 11th, which is the following day. Today's program, we are focusing on, let's call it labor, love, and light. Uh, our guest is Jacob Lieberman, who is, uh, you'll be, we'll be talking to him momentarily. And, uh, he's going to be joining us in our first half of the program. And then later on, Mary is going to be joining us and we'll be talking to you about things that are happening this week and this month at Unity. But uh, we'll first start off with you, Dr. Lieberman. Or do you like Jacob or Dr. Lieberman? Jacob. Jacob, okay. Just Jacob. So you're a doctor of, ot- of optometry. I, I have a doctorate in optometry, and I have a Ph.D. as well. Okay. And you are going to be speaking this Sunday at Unity, and the um, subject of that talk is what? The title is called Labor of Love. And um, it came to me when I realized that they asked me to speak on Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And that we enter this life in the process of labor. Mm-hmm. And that it seems like our, our life, our yin and yang, is uh, our expansion and contraction is a process of labor, love, labor, love, back and forth. And so um, that's where the title came from. The rest of it will be live. So that's all I can share with you at the moment. So when, when you talk about, I mean, we were talking about this a little before we went on the air. You were, yeah. were talking about labor and Labor Day weekend. That's kind of clever. But we come into this world through this process that we call labor. Yeah. And then we spend a lot of our life, what, or some people do, toiling in a, in a, in labor and doing things. So is labor always a painful experience? No, I don't think it has to be a painful experience, but it certainly requires some physical effort yeah. or some mental effort or spiritual effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the child is coming out of their mother, mm-hmm. uh, it takes some pushing. It mm-hmm. takes some breathing. It takes some focus on both the part of the mother as well as a child, as well as everyone in the space. Mm-hmm. The child comes out, and shortly, it's interesting because when the child is inside the mom, they're in a very, very warm wet, dark, totally peaceful and quiet environment. It's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. Um, you're really in a state of oneness, if you will. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's there's nothing, there's no more unity than obviously we right. know the, the feeling, I would imagine, between a, a child in in its mother's womb. Well, this is why for the first several months of a child's life, it doesn't perceive any difference between itself, no separation between itself uh, and its mother. But uh, when the child comes out, it, it requires a certain degree of efforting, if you will, mm-hmm. a contraction to actually come out. And then the child comes into a very lit up, very cold, very bright, rather loud environment. And most of them go into a, a bit of shock. They hold their breath. And this is why pediatricians used to spank the child mm-hmm. to in some way bring them out of that state of shock. Mm-hmm. But what happens is when the child uh, is brought within a certain proximity, a certain number of inches from the mother's left breast, something very interesting happens. Their two heartbeats superimpose and they become one heartbeat. They they beat in the exact same rhythm rhythm, wow. if you will. I, I didn't know. This yeah. is just across the board. Yeah, they get entrained. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that cross-culturally, the mothers always bring the child to the left breast, closest to the heart. the heart. When the two hearts within get within a certain physical proximity, the two heartbeats are entrained into one. And I imagine the child has an experience of, ah, thank God I'm home. And that sense of being at home, at oneness again, is what I call love. 
So that's where the title labor of love came from. And my sense is that throughout our life, we have periods of labor followed by periods of feeling at oneness, then labor and at oneness. And it's sort of like the yin and yang. It's really not different than than the heartbeat or even uh, your breathing cycle. When you breathe in, it takes a little effort. But when the air goes out, it's just totally effortless. The whole universe is actually doing that, continually expanding and contraction and everything within the universe. It's a fascinating description when you describe it that way as, as the, as the expansion and contraction versus say the dichotomy of, you know, you're either in labor or you're in love. It's, they just go back and forth. It's the right. yin and yang, the ebb and the flow right. of, of labor and love. And of course, I imagine that, you know, what, we all aspire to do is to bring love into our labor and so make sure. it a labor of love. Exactly. And that's what labor of love is, basically. Yeah. You know, it, it's, uh, uh, it's not work. It's your life's work. It's, it's, um, it's sort of like a rose. A rose doesn't have to do anything to be a rose. It just um, exudes mm-hmm. uh, a fragrance. Right. that um, causes you to just want to go towards it and and smell it. And a labor of love is that we are living our purpose of being mm-hmm. here. And that's what, you know, it is for me. It's it's so wonderful when people uh, pursue their passion and it's clear this is what this is what you do. This is your labor of love. Um, I have a, a project that I birthed that basically I, I will announce now because it feels like a labor of love today. You know, I do a lot of different uh, publishing ventures and we have something with uh, an inconvenient truth. The, the wonderful movie uh, with Al Gore talking about global warming. I have a website called an-inconvenient-truth.com. Today we launched, we have 10,000-plus members, uh, a, a package where they can get the DVD and learn about this and you know how to go out into the community and let other people know the important situations related to global warming. I spent a couple of days putting it together and working very long hours. It didn't feel like work. I mean, you know, it would be mid- midnight, one o'clock. It just doesn't feel like work. Pushed a button right before I drove over here to the radio station and, you know, hundreds of people are coming and, and taking advantage of that. And when you're in tune with those labors of love, everything just kind of flows and you feel good. It's a wonderful gliding experience. I, I share with you how I just practiced that on the way down mm-hmm. here. So I live up country. Mm-hmm. I get on the Haleakala Highway. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's downhill. Right. So even though my car is uh, a, an automatic, mm-hmm. I put it into neutral. Now, when I put it into neutral, I notice that all the RPM. I mean, I don't have to give it any gas to go downhill, but when I put it into neutral, all the RPMs drop down to the engine's um, idle speed, if right. you will. And it's interesting because everything gets quiet. The engine quiets down. Everything is working at a minimum. And we're just gliding down the hill. And when I do that, I mean, uh, aside from improving my gas mileage right. and all Helping of that. Helping the environment. All of that. I mean, but there's a, a big Absolutely. piece of that. There's a wonderful um, silence, if you will, when we are uh, in tune with the way nature does things. That is such an apt analogy. I love And I'm eager now for my next trip down Haleakala Highway to yeah. try that. Just throw it in a neutral and just feel how the car responds and is, yeah. and is connected. Yeah. That is, these are great. So what, let's talk a little bit about what you've done to bring you to this place. Uh, you've written several books. Um, I'm interested in, in all of them, but especially I, I'd like to find out a little bit more about the, Title: Take off your glasses and see. Um, tell me about that. Uh, the book uh, was a, a result of um, of a couple of experiences. Uh, one of them in 1971, um, when I was in the midst of my optometric training, and uh, someone recommended that I do some vision exercises because my eyes were not working together very well, and I'd always had excellent visual acuity. Mm-hmm. So no one had ever mentioned that to me. I did these exercises, and my lifelong reading problem uh, disappeared uh, within two months. And you mean uh, nearsightedness? Or? No, I was already nearsighted, but I had a, a real problem with reading for long periods of time. I'd fall asleep. <laughs> I mean, it, it had been going on my whole life. Sco- right. School was hard for me. And here I was just basically getting through my optometric training. I did these exercises for two months, and then I made dean's list every quarter till I graduated. 
it was a life transformative event for me to realize that literally changing my vision could change my whole life. Hmm. And so that was the first event. And then uh, in 1976, while I was in practice, I began a program of doing the same kinds of vision exercises. Uh, here I'd been wearing glasses for nine or ten years at the time. And what I started doing is, as I did the exercises, I gradually reduced my prescription. You know how when you go to the eye doctor every year, it's always getting stronger. It always gets stronger. Right. It goes up every every visit, yeah. Exactly. So what I said is, well, as I'm strengthening my vision, what would happen if I very gradually, just small amounts, reduced the prescription? And what I found is over a period of time, I was able to wean myself off of my glasses totally. I haven't worn glasses in 30 years now. I'll be 59 in November. I see well at distance. I read well. I have no problem seeing very, very fine print. And so the experience of that uh, allowed me to realize that we do not only see with the eyes. We see primarily with our, our awareness. And so that led me into a whole investigation of What's the role of the mind? What's the role of awareness? Where are we actually seeing from? Because in my particular case, I had a two to three hundred percent improvement in eyesight, but no change in the optical measurements of my eyes. Whoa! So you mean when you when when they put that device or your colleagues put that device in front of you and they measure your the prescription was the same, right? So you could see better, but the prescription was the same. Wow. Now, of course, that totally stumped me because here I was led to believe, and what I saw <laughs> clinically was, yeah. you know, as the eyes worsen, the prescription strengthens. So I thought, well, as the eyes improve, maybe the prescription weakens. It, it would seem to make sense. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the experience that I had. And the profoundness of that was that I recognized that seeing is not just happening on the eyeball level. It's not just happening inside the brain, but there is something else going on that allows us to know what's happening and to see it, if you will, even at a deeper level. In fact, um, uh, someone once said real vision is the ability to see the invisible. And maybe this is why visionaries are able to see things that others are not able to see initially. But does that does that translate on a practical level? Say, as you're driving down Haleakala Highway, can you identify all the cars ahead of you, et cetera? It did for me. Uh, it has for many people that uh, I have worked with over the years. It's not something that everyone will experience because not everyone is designed to have that particular type of opening in their life. You know, my mother, for instance, had cancer four times. Mm -hmm. My mother didn't die of cancer. She, she came through all of her cancers, and a couple of them most people wouldn't live through. So that was the way that maybe she had some opening in her life. Uh, for me, it was this particular route. For you, it might be something totally different, mm -hmm. maybe it related to some of your work with the environment and all of that. So... I'm not suggesting that everyone can experience this. What I am suggesting is that everyone can improve their visual performance. Everyone can have some degree of improvement in everything from their ability to attend, which is a visual phenomenon. Mm -hmm. How do we know we're attending to each other? We're looking at mm -hmm. each other. And when the looking isn't there, the attention isn't there. Right. So everything from visual attention, reading efficiency, comprehension, how well you play golf, or tennis, how easily you read or compute, very, very much related to visual performance. So you improve visual performance, you improve the quality of your life, you improve the quality of the way you learn, attend, and do things in your life. Jacob, this is fascinating. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to find out about some exercises that we can do and a little bit more about being able to see the world differently and better. I'm James Jacobson. This is Conversations with Friends. We'll be right back. Conversations with Friends with Mary Omwake is a presentation of Unity on Maui. We are a trans-denominational community and invite you to join us in Sunday morning celebration at 10 a.m. at the Maui Tropical Plantation in Waikapu. Unity also offers children's church and nursery services. If you'd like to join our families of sponsors on Conversations with Friends, please call us at Unity at 242-9327. 
There's a reason that Hawaii's premier mortgage company has successfully completed over $2 billion in loans for the people of Maui. With over 20 years of experience and a 99% loan completion rate, Trisha Morris and Premier Mortgage have earned the trust of thousands of Maui homeowners. Where mortgages are concerned, don't leave anything to chance. Go with number one. Call Trisha Morris and her team of magicians today. 874-8800. That's 874-8800 for Hawaii's premier mortgage company. And now, back to Conversations with Friends. I'm James Jacobson, sitting in for Mary Omwake. Our guest this hour is Dr. Jacob Lieberman, who is uh, going to be speaking this Sunday at Unity on Maui, where he will be talking about labor of love to coincide with Labor Day weekend. Um, Jacob, before we took a break, you, we were talking about different ways of seeing, uh, and from your perspective as a, as a doctor of optometry, mm-hmm. um, are there some exercises that we can do to see the world differently and to also improve our vision? Vision? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's an entire science called vision therapy or vision training uh, that was developed within the optometric profession in 1928. So it's been around for 80-something years. It's got more than 2,000 pieces of research to back it up. It's practiced by probably six to 8,000 doctors around the country. So it's a well-established science, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, my particular work deals with a, an invention, a device that I have invented called the iPort Vision Training System. And it's the first device uh, that you use for less than 10 minutes a day that is patented, that is clinically proven, and has recently been cleared by the FDA as a medical device. And this is as an over-the-counter device. So it's not only used by doctors, uh, to give to their patients, but this is something that the public can directly purchase for themselves, use at home, and see a direct ex- you know, experience of improvement from it. And you invented it yeah. here on Maui? Uh, well, I started to work on this in 1997 when I was living in Aspen, Colorado, yeah. but most of the work uh, has been going on since 2000, since I have been here on Maui. So describe this device. What does it look like and how does it work? Well, it looks like a, a, a spaceship. That's um, <laughs> It really does. It, it um, It's a device that's portable and foldable and it's battery-powered, and when you open it up, it's about three feet wide, yeah. and it has a series of alternating red and blue lights. Yeah. Now, you remember we spoke about labor of love, and we talked about that the fundamental heartbeat of the universe is expansion and contraction. Mm-hmm. It's going on in every cell in your body. Well, what this does is it uses the same principle. It takes alternating red and blue lights. Light has a profound effect on your body, just like it does on a plant. When the eye perceives red, it causes the focusing mechanism to automatically flex, to contract, like a muscle contracting. When the eye looks at blue, the opposite happens. The focusing mechanism goes, ah, and relaxes. So by alternating red and blue, you simulate this expansion-contraction process that is not only occurring in the heart, the vascular system, every function of the body in the universe, but it's happening in the eye all the time. So it's like doing pump um, uh, muscle exercises. You're pumping iron for your eyes. Exactly, but it's happening naturally. Yeah. You're not having to do anything. <laughs> it is happening as part of the natural expansive contractive process of life so by watching these alternating uh, colors of light Mm -hmm. you have an effect and the effect is measurable it's based on a phenomenon called chromatic aberration which is what causes the focusing system to either contract or expand or relax according to the color it's looking at Mm -hmm. Um, we've completed five studies on this to date three of them were published this year in scientific peer-reviewed journals, uh, and we have noticed changes in everything from visual attention, reading efficiency, comprehension, and visual acuity to how well children play baseball, how well police officers respond to threatening things, how quickly they pick up information, how accurately their physical responses. We just completed a study on kids with ADD and ADHD, do not have any of the results on that. It's a university-based uh, study. Um, but we're double, very, double blind, so to speak. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. the, these are uh, what, what we call uh, crossover design studies that are blind. Yeah. Uh, it has to be at that standard, or you can't get them published right. in, in review journals. So this is a product that is available, and people can find out about it. If, if they want, they can go to our website, which is exerciseyoureyes.com. But I want to share with people that 
sharper image was carrying this product over the last year. They're liquidating it right now because yeah. they're going through some changes I won't get into, and they're yeah. liquidating a lot of their products. But if you can find it at a sharper image store, it's not on the sharper image website, but if you can find it at a sharper image store, rather than paying $200, yeah. you can buy it at a third of wholesale wow. for about $30. Wow. So I'm letting everyone know that they have that option if they can find it at the sharper image here. That is, it is fascinating. Um, Jacob, do we have a, a caller? Do we have a caller? Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, love your show. I love what uh, the gentleman's saying. Sounds stuff I never thought of. Brilliant. Um, I just had a comment. I wanted to um, see if I can be helpful. Uh, you were talking about taking your vehicle out of gear going down the, the Haleakala Highway. Yeah. yeah. And as much as it may be economical and, and peaceful, I really discourage it because what what happens is when your car's in gear, there's more control over the vehicle. That's why you shift into lower gear when you're a big truck or whatever, right? And when you're not in gear, it's like you're just freewheeling, like boxcarring it down the the crater, you know. And and it you can you can get out of control a lot more easier. The being in gear gives you a lot more control over the vehicle. So I just wanted to add that since. It's a, it's, and I love everything that the, the gentleman is saying. He's brilliant. But I really, since you were saying that on the radio, and all these people are going to be <laughs> taking their cars out of gear going down the highway. And, and if I may be mistaken, it's just from what I understand. So if there's anybody who wants to call in and, and correct me, I'm, I'd be I very happy. Uh, I appreciate your call. That. But I, I don't know. I wanted to tell you something. That I'm that glad that you said that. keeps that car under control. And, you know, if you need to slow down, especially in an emergency situation, and you've got it in gear, it's a lot easier to control the vehicle. And you know, so anyway, that's what I Thank wanted you. to say. Thank I, you for your call. Uh, I wanted to say that he's exactly correct, and uh, thanks for uh, bringing that forth. I wasn't suggesting <laughs> that um, anyone do that on a permanent basis. It's just that I I happened to do that uh, for a short period on the way here. And uh, since James was talking about his experience of that, I just shared that recently. So don't go and do that. That's that's fascinating. And that's what I love about our talk show. Uh, with conversations with friends, you hear from people all over the island uh, with some often meaty advice like that. Oh, that was good. That was good. Okay, so don't do that um, unless you know better. Um, but let's go back to this this vision device. So yeah. you, it's available uh, if you can find it at Sharper Image for a third of wholesale, which is amazing. But this idea of... The red um, flexes the eye, the blue relaxes it, so it's basically eyes are muscles. Well, there are muscles within the eye. Uh There are muscles around the eye. There are six muscles around the eyes. There are muscles inside of the eye. Mm -hmm. And the eye is married to light. So you know how uh, when the sun comes up in the morning, the flowers turn their face towards the light. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens with the eye. When the eye is stimulated by light, it automatically turns towards the light. And different frequencies of light, which you call different colors, have different effects as they move through the medium of the eye. They also have different effects on the nervous system as well. We won't get into that Mm -hmm. today. So just by alternating colors, you can get... Uh, an effect of exercising the eyes passively. And then, of course, since the colors are moving, the lights are moving in different directions, Mm -hmm. horizontally, vertically, from far to near, just changing the distance of where you're looking also exercises the vision system as well. And what we have found is, as I said, this device only requires five 90-second exercises a day. All of our studies were based on doing that less than 10 minutes a day, six days a week, for three weeks, and in three weeks, we had statistically significant and clinically significant improvement in a very broad array of, of visual performance. In for every, as I said, everything from uh, little league baseball players to police officers uh, to s- students in medical school. So, is it possible? I mean, I, I've been wearing contacts for <clears throat> as long as I can recall. Um, because I have very acute peripheral vision, is it possible to to do exercises that would you know? The, to basically be able to get rid of uh, glasses or, or contacts? We have not done any studies to show that you can do vision exercises to eliminate glasses or contact mm-hmm. lenses. Um, I was able to do that 30 years ago. We are going to initiate studies specifically in this area uh, because 
Vision deterioration is the biggest health epidemic in the world right now. Hardly anyone is born needing glasses, but look around. Two-thirds of the U.S. and world's population wear eyeglasses or contact lenses. Two-thirds. And then I know in Asia it's even greater. Oh, it's huge. I mean, you go into Hong Kong or Singapore, it's near 90% of everyone after the age of 16. Why is that? Why, Why would there be a difference in Asia? Because if you go into countries where education is stressed, mm-hmm. whether it is in Asia, America, portions of the Middle East, uh, where education is stressed, wherever people are doing a lot of reading or a lot of computer work, that's where you notice myopia and nearsightedness. Mm. If you go into cultures, for instance, that don't do any reading, their eyes stay excellent their whole life. Is it that they stay excellent or they just don't get tested because they're not aware that the no, words no. on the page are blurry? No. Uh, there were studies done, God, probably in the late 40s uh, on Eskimos mm-hmm. before Alaska became a state. And you'd notice that there was no nearsightedness in the population of, of kids, their parents, their grandparents. There was It was non-existent. This basically occurred as a function of the environmental stress of restricting the eyes to a near distance. So it's not just for humans. If you took a monkey and you put uh, something over its head that restricted or confined its vision, it would become nearsighted. Really? Yeah. So visual confinement, even standing in a room like this most of the day, will cause you to become nearsighted. Uh, People that are in submarines for a long period of time, they become nearsighted. When they get out over time, it relaxes and they regain their eyesight. But if they've been there too long, it becomes permanent. This is fascinating. We're speaking with Jacob Lieberman about vision and about the underlying parts of it that aren't necessarily dealing with the eyes, but dealing with the consciousness and the way we see the world that we all live in. We're going to take a break, but when we come back more on this fascinating conversation, I'm James Jacobson. Stay tuned. Conversations with Friends with Mary Omwick is a presentation of Unity on Maui. We are a trans-denominational community and invite you to join us in Sunday morning celebration at 10 a.m. at the Maui Tropical Plantation in Waikapu. Unity also offers children's church and nursery services. If you'd like to join our families of sponsors on Conversations with Friends, please call us at Unity at 242-9327. There's a reason that Hawaii's premier mortgage company has successfully completed over $2 billion in loans for the people of Maui. With over 20 years of experience and a 99% loan completion rate, Trisha Morris and Premier Mortgage have earned the trust of thousands of Maui homeowners. Where mortgages are concerned, don't leave anything to chance. Go with number one. Call Trisha Morris and her team of magicians today. 874-8800. That's 874-8800 for Hawaii's premier mortgage company. And now, back to Conversations with Friends. I'm James Jacobson sitting in for Mary Omwick. Mary will be joining us soon via telephone. But I wanted to let you know about a brand new platinum sponsor that we have here on Conversations with Friends. It's Real Estate Maui Style. It is a wonderful publication. You know, there are a ton of magazines out there that deal with real estate that you can pick up all over. This is the one that we recommend. It is fascinating. Uh, uh, Myrna Stone, who is the editor, is a great friend of Unity on Maui. And if you pick up this month's issue, it has some beautiful dolphins on the front. Uh, it's the August 2006 issue. You'll find a, a listing of the 2006 Who's Who Maui Real Estate Directory. As you know, here in Maui, there are a lot of realtors, a lot of mortgage folks, and you'd like to know who's who, who's the right person to deal with. This directory will help you big time. It's real estate Maui style. And inside, not only do you get some listings like that and fascinating ads, but a great article about our friend Ram Das, who uh, is a good friend of uh, Unity and uh, is, lives on Maui now. And there's an interesting um, article profile of him by uh, Joseph Bean, on this issue of Maui Style Magazine. Check it out. It's, I won't say on newsstands, it's all over. You can pick it up at, at most of the uh, places where you where you see all those magazines. Look for the one with the dolphin in front. Myrna, thanks for being with us and joining us as a sponsor on Conversations with Friends. 
Our guest this hour is Dr. Jacob Lieberman, who is a doctorate, who has a doctorate of optometry. So I want to keep calling you doctor. So we just call you Jacob though. Um, what is fascinating about you, we started this program by talking about labors of love and you're going to be speaking on Sunday at Unity talking about that. And then we talked a little bit about this passion of yours, which is to help people see better through, I would say, pretty non-traditional optometric practice, right? I mean, you said there were 6,000 yeah. phys- uh, physicians who practice this form of, of uh, the, like eye exercises. Yeah, vis- yeah, it's called vision training or vision therapy. It's interesting that, you know, if you injured some portion of your body and you went to a, a doctor mm-hmm. and uh, he said, James, you strained something, mm-hmm. you're going to have to do some physical therapy or put a brace on it for a while, but he said, then you'll do some physical therapy, and after a while, you'd expect your arm or your leg to get back to right. normal, right? Yet, when we do something and our vision gets weakened, uh, they said, we have to put braces on for the rest of your life. It is, it and is. And they get stronger every year. So... You know, here we're talking about doing vision exercises. And if I said to you, James, listen, you need to do some cardiovascular work, you'd say, oh, yeah, of course, everybody knows that exercise is good for you. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is, yoga, running, whatever. If I said, you need to exercise your vision, you'd say, huh? It's interesting that we don't recognize or we recognize that exercise improves uh, flexibility, stamina, performance, all of that. And yet we don't realize it's the same thing is true with our vision. The only difference is the eyes are not a separate organ uh, like a kidney. They are direct frontal extensions of your brain. If mm-hmm. you take off the top of your skull and you look at your brain, it has two frontal satellite dishes. Known and, as the eyes. Yes, and those satellite dishes are your direct connection with the world. They don't, not only allow you to see, but you can feel something by looking at it. You know the feel of it by looking at it. You know the color of it. You can even look at something and through your memory even know the smell of it. So vision is very powerful. 90% of everything we learn in our lifetime is by way of our eyes. The way that the eyes pick up information, not just in acuity, but in terms of where it is, what it is, how fast it's moving, is basically what tells your body how to respond, when to respond, and to what degree. Does it create such a vivid message that if your eyes are damaged, you can still kind of use them, but not through the optic nerves? Here's the, here's what I'm asking. I, I have a dog who, uh, after years, went blind with cataracts, right. and she's 13 years old. And 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 I know that dogs and humans are different. I don't think dogs rely on their sense of vision as strongly as we do. I think the sense of smell is much greater. But what has blown me away is how easily she has adapted. Um, and, you know, we did all the things you're not supposed to do. We moved the furniture around six times and did all the things you're not supposed to do with a blind dog. But her ability to adapt has been incredible. And right. I think there's something going on in terms of her vision that is not necessarily tied in with the fact that her eyes are not working, her cataracts are covering them. Well, you know, we have a tendency to limit vision to the eye. Mm -hmm. And yet, when you say, I see, (laughs) you're talking about something totally different. Mm -hmm. You are seeing it, but you're understanding it. When they say, oh, they're a real person of vision, what does that mean? What does it mean to see the light? So what happens when we lose a certain sense, let's say our vision, all of a sudden the other senses that might not be used to the same degree, they broaden, they expand, and they start opening up. You know, if you, when you open your eyes, for instance, you're, you're looking at me right now, you're not aware so much of all those peripheral noises, but if you close your eyes for a second and don't say anything, you'll notice that the peripheral sounds get louder. Mm-hmm. The volume actually increases. So when the dog loses some aspect of their vision, mm-hmm. just like a human being, all of a sudden their sense of touch becomes even more astute. Mm-hmm. Their sense of smell, their sense of hearing awakens even more because now they're seeing with their ears, they're seeing with their nose, they're seeing with their paw. And so human beings exactly the same way. That's fascinating. So that's why we say, I see. Right. 
or you know, or I guess there's the old there's the old NLP trick where you can say you know if someone is saying I see or I get what you're saying or I hear does yeah. that ring a bell or right. can you feel what I, and people have different senses that they rely on but I guess we live in a society that is so visually oriented oh sure I mean look everything just about everything we do mm-hmm. uh, is with our eyes except when we close our eyes or when we go to sleep I mean it, it, it we are s- such a visual species, if you will. Um, so having vision that is working at its maximum potential, I mean, affects every single thing. Uh, give you a, an idea. I did some research in the 70s, and what I was really looking at is when someone is looking at something, is that where they're really looking? Because you assume when you're looking at something, that's where you're looking, Right. right. Well, I discovered something. About 70% of the population are actually looking closer to them or slightly further away than they actually think they're looking. And so what happens what is, is what, do you, what do you mean? I mean, their, their focus is somewhere else? Yes. Their yeah. focus is somewhere their else. Focus, their attention. Their, yeah. their focus, their attention, the, the pointing of their eyes is somewhere some a little bit different than where they are actually looking. Objects in mirror may appear closer than... Well, what happens, if you go and you look at a world-class athlete, Mm -hmm. you notice something interesting about them. They have a level of congruency that most of us don't experience. Where they think they're looking and where they're actually looking are coincident. And this is why they hit the bullseye at a much higher level than most people. Do they train their eyes to do, I mean, I know you work with some world-class uh, athletes. Tell me, tell us about that. Yeah, first of all, you find that high-level athletes have higher-level visual skills. Mm-hmm. Those skills can also be trained. So you can take a golfer, for instance, they can use the iPort unit, and it will translate as an improvement in their game. Hmm. If you do the same thing with a tennis player, I mean, anyone that is at a high-level performer in sports, will tell you. It's all in their eyes. It's, it's how they read the terrain. It's how they respond, and that's a function of their vision. Vision is not so much what you see. It's what you do with what you see. It's your response. Well, that, that, that leads into my next question. I'm curious. We live on, I would argue, one of the most beautiful places on Earth, and there is beauty all over does it matter when is there a physiological response or something when we see something that we all think is beautiful whether it's you know yao valley or uh, or a beautiful rainbow or just the you know sunset is there some sort of physiological response that is brought into the brain through the eyes that causes something and is that part of this phenomena oh absolutely when you see something beautiful you have a feeling of falling in love mm-hmm and that affects everything in your body. You not only start seeing clear, but sometimes it brings tears to the eyes, it nourishes the heart, and so on. Another wonderful thing about Maui, aside from the beauty, is there's no visual confinement. Wherever you look, the eyes can escape into infinity. Very expansive, yeah. Very rare that you find that anywhere in the world. I never thought of that. You can not, I mean, not only when you look at the ocean, you do you see the horizon, but wherever you are, if you're on Haleakala Highway going down in low gear, you look out and you can see the airport and everything, yeah. and it just goes on and on, and you can see yeah. West Maui. That's fascinating. You see, when the eyes are not confined, yeah. you're able to breathe much deeper. If you're in a room that has a higher ceiling, your breathing will expand. You'll be able to fill more. Uh, When people get into small rooms or elevators, sometimes they feel a bit asphyxiated. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the vision is confined. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to have uh, classrooms with windows the way I had them when I, when I was a kid. A, a lot of the kids today, they go to schools with windowless classrooms. Those little trailers, yeah. Yeah, artificial lighting and all of that. All of a sudden, you've got a high degree of nearsightedness, learning problems, and so on. So it's very important for vision not to be confined. It really allows the person to expand. That is fascinating. In addition to the eyes and the connection of the way we see, you, you, you talk about lots of other things or you studied lots of things. And, and one of them, um, that, that we got into before we went on the air is, uh, this, this very positing question that I think a lot of people like to know about. When we die, where do we go, Jacob? We don't go anywhere. We don't go anywhere because, you see, the we that we think we are is not actually the we that we are. Um, you know, when this came to me, James, my, both my parents passed away in the last two years. It'll mm-hmm. be next month that my mom passed away. And 
I was with my mom at the time that she passed, and it was very interesting because a moment or two before she passed, I could see it was my mom. Mm -hmm. Within a minute or two after she passed, I looked at her, and it didn't at all look like my mom. And mm -hmm. I, I turned to my sister, Eva, and I said, Eva, does that look like mom? She said, no. And I realized that everything that I attributed to that person that I called my mom, everything that was, that when I thought of my mom, that's what I thought of, mm -hmm. none of it was tangible. None of it was anything I could put my hand on. Right. And so my sense is that who we are, this uh, this spirit, this soul, what it, you know, who can describe this, this field of awareness? It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. It it's actually here all the time. the The vehicle goes somewhere. Yeah. The body goes somewhere. It uh, you trade it in on a new model, but but the essence. The uh, the source, if you will, that which is seeing, the source of the seeing, I don't see that that goes anywhere at all. The spirit still yeah. is, is, is right where it was. It's right here all the time. I don't think it goes to another world. I think it's right here all the time. That's just my experience of it. That's fascinating. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, more with Jacob Lieberman and Mary Omwick will be joining us. This is Conversations with Friends. Conversations with Friends with Mary Omwake is a presentation of Unity on Maui. We are a trans-denominational community and invite you to join us in Sunday morning celebration at 10 a.m. at the Maui Tropical Plantation in Waikapu. Unity also offers children's church and nursery services. If you'd like to join our families of sponsors on Conversations with Friends, please call us at Unity at 242-9327. There's a reason that Hawaii's premier mortgage company has successfully completed over $2 billion in loans for the people of Maui. With over 20 years of experience and a 99% loan completion rate, Trisha Morris and Premier Mortgage have earned the trust of thousands of Maui homeowners. Where mortgages are concerned, don't leave anything to chance. Go with number one. Call Trisha Morris and her team of magicians today. 874-8800. That's 874-8800 for Hawaii's premier mortgage company. And now, back to Conversations with Friends. I'm James Jacobson. We're having a fascinating conversation with Jacob Lieberman, who's going to be at Unity this Sunday, speaking on labor of love on this Labor Day weekend. One of the things that we were touching on before, um, uh, before we went on the air, is this concept that people are are using the power of attention or the power of attraction to bring things into their lives but then we also hear about emptying the mind so there's a strong dichotomy there about focusing on what you want and then just letting everything go how what is that how does that work for you well for me um i experience in my life is choiceless 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 meaning you don't have choices right what does that mean? I thought life is all about choices. Well, it is if that's the way that you experience it. Okay. But you ask me, I experience it. For you, it. Yeah. yeah. My experience is that things just take me, that life just takes me. Many times I'm aware that there's chatter in the mind, there's conversation going on and so on. But I find that life still takes me where exactly I'm supposed to be. So for me... Um, for, for me, the experience is more of acceptance of what is, rather than trying to drive the So mind. there's no discernment. It's sort of like going down Haleakala Highway um, in, in neutral. I mean, it's just letting life take you and then being receptive to that. Right, right. Do you have a, do you have a practice? Do you do a, a regular meditation? Or how do you spend your days? Do you have anything? Any, I, any? I spend my days taking care of everything that's in front of me. It usually starts with making my bed when I get up, yeah. brushing my teeth, uh, making breakfast, washing the dishes is a big part of my meditation, yeah. responding so to phone calls, just emails, living and so life and, 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 and doing. That's my meditation yeah. all day long. Yeah. And, um, uh, uh, go on. Uh, it's um, <laughs> there. We got background peripheral yeah, noise going. Yeah. Um, 
so just basically living your life in a normal fashion, the things you do, the doing the dishes, yeah. just going on, gives you that sense that um, that's how that's that's your practice. Yeah, for, for me, see, I'm aware there's a lot of activity that goes on in the mind. Mm-hmm. It wants this or it doesn't want this, okay? And most people identify themselves with that mm-hmm. that's going on. Um, I came to realize something a while ago. If you are aware that there's thinking going on, who or what is it that's aware of that? And if something is aware of that, it means that something is actually watching that. That's the only reason it sees that there's thinking going on. Mm -hmm. So what I've come to see in my own life is that the thinking is not my source. The me, what's really there, is that which is noticing that thinking arises. Now, if I really attend to it, I can also notice that there's some activity going on in my heart. It's pumping all the time. But I'm not the activity in the heart. I'm that which is noticing that there's activity occurring in the heart. And my, when I say that I'm choiceless, that part that is noticing what's happening in the mind but not identifying with this piece of it or this piece of it is what I sense is the source of our being. That is fascinating. Mary Onwake is joining us now. Mary? Hi. How are you? Did you get a little bit of that? I did. I that little monkey chatter. I'm sorry I missed all of it because I'm so excited that our congregation is going to get to hear Jacob Lieberman Sunday. This is wow. going to be, we had, we've had a fascinating discussion about labor of love and vision and choices or not having choices. And, and even we talked about, um, going down Haleakala Highway in neutral and what that feels like. And then a caller called in and said, you probably shouldn't do that. It's not, it's not all that safe. But it's been a fascinating program. How are you doing in California? Well, I'm doing well. I am happy to just join you for a moment. I just left my mother at a nursing home where she's been wonderfully cared for for eight years. She's had dementia for actually 13, but needed round-the-clock care for eight. And she is in such an angelic presence place. They're so good to her that she just continues to shine on. And um, she told me, and I I thought, I, I think she may be more metaphysically correct in me she said yesterday if i just wanted to pretend that i was her daughter i could but she actually knew that i really wasn't her daughter that i was her mother wow. <laughs> and i thought well how many lifetimes mm. have we maybe played this out so mm. it's really been pretty wonderful and so the perspective of dementia gives you um gives you that opportunity well, my mother is really Eckhart Tolle's model citizen of be here now because <laughs> she is fully present now to whatever dimension she's in. And it was very, very helpful to me many, many years ago when Ram Das reminded us that most people, when they move, they just pack up their furniture and they go. But my mother, she started moving 14 years ago, and she's still, you know, got her body, but she's moved most of her... Um, conscious mind that we would normally think of over to the other side but she is very present on a soul level and it makes me so um, aware that there's so much more going on than we understand and, and I'm sure Jacob Lieberman is a wonderful resource for that there's, we just know a little bit of consciousness, uh, what our mind thinks is conscious and there's so many more dimensions and it's a beautiful thing to do the work to awaken to whatever uh, awareness is possible. So it is fascinating. Beautiful, you know? beautiful day, and my mother just keeps reminding me how precious each breath is, and to be able to just sit there and love her. And it's just like being with the Dalai Lama. It's no different. The love when you're in that love place, there's no difference. It just you just are there. You know, Mary, we've talked about writing a book. It strikes me that there's a book in this. Oh, <laughs> being present to what is. Well, just know the experience. <laughs> I think Byron Katie did it. <laughs> the experience that you're having with your mom just sounds oh. fascinating because I know a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of people who are um, visiting people in in this nursing home are also going through this process. Mm-hmm. And this, I don't know how people do it who don't have some beginning inklings of there's more to life than just um, you know the physical experience. I, I think that must be very challenging because. You know, with just the work that I've done and being present, so many people have made their transitions and, um, you know, being able to ask them, do you want to have a contest? Uh, 
that you know so many people have never even heard as a as a possibility mm-hmm. and uh you know just for us to even be able to even contemplate enlightenment or waking up is such a beautiful a beautiful thing to be grateful for if anyone's listening today you know to live on maui or being driving around maui and just to contemplate waking up is uh, probably a very good day that is beautiful. Mary, you're going to be back here September 10th uh, for a very special service. Tell us about that. I am. Well, the Association for Global New Thought was contacted by Arun Gandhi, helped us facilitate the Gandhi King season for peace and nonviolence, has gone global and just around the world. Um, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, his first stand for nonviolence was a publication called Satyagraha in South Africa back when apartheid raging and um, you were thrown into prison just to suggest equality, as our dear Nelson Mandela was, 27 years in prison. Um, and so Gandhi, before he went to Af- India, he published this, this newspaper on nonviolent ahimsa, harmlessness, and September 11th this year, Jim, is 100 years. It's still in publication. His granddaughter, Ella Gandhi, who will be with us at the Peace conference in April of 2007, along with his grandson, Arun Gandhi, the children of Martin Luther King, Jr., and uh, many, many of the founders of the um, civil rights movement from the 60s will be there in San Jose. But his uh, his granddaughter has passing it on to his great-granddaughter, and she will take over the publication. So 100 years, this seeded idea that's been moving around the world um, that's arising for people, and as Barbara Marks shared so beautifully that war is no longer winnable. It, we have replaced that nobody can really win a war anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's so good that war is becoming obsolete and we're seeing it on our television sets. We just saw one where both sides claimed victory and everyone watching said nobody won this war. You know, nobody won. And that's, that's the awakening that's starting. So, you know, 100 years, this idea that there is another way bring about social change there's another way and it always involves love and nonviolence. and that all so starts never harm anyone so um i'm really excited we will be launching that on september 10th 11 days to change the consciousness of the united states september 11th it seems like we maybe missed the opportunity that was given us you know we had the total support of the world the total understand compassion of the world and we somehow turned that where I, as I travel to Italy, to India, to the Holy Land, um, and around, we are now, it's very sad for me to hear that my country is more feared by more people in Europe, in India, than any of the other terrorist states that we think about, that we're fighting. And so this is an intention for us to get our vision back and to remember that um, there's another way to respond and maybe some other solutions. And war is never the answer. And Mary, Mary, we're gonna, we're just about out of time, but that's, that's a, that's a beautiful thought. Um, many blessings to Aloha. Thank you. Warm Aloha. We'll see you soon, Mary. Jacob Lieberman, thanks for being with us today. We'll see you Sunday at Unity on Maui. I'm James Jacobson. I'll be back next Tuesday. Aloha. In the cool green shade At the foot of a mountain So far away Sits a barefoot boy Singing songs in the old style way, in the old style way.